I'm going to do all my shows in my bedroom naked. Oh, so was I not supposed to tell Ew. you that? Oh, now it's ruined. Please, please don't tell me now. <laughs> Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have The Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Oh, man, I hope I'm in the right place. You know, when Brad and Drew invited me out to L.A. for the weekend, it didn't give me a lot of time to get directions. Well, here goes. Well, Dino Mike! Spearsy's finally here. Far out, man. We just put on some killer vinyl, Spearsy. Come in here, kick off your hush puppies, and partake in some killer fondue. The hush puppies? What the hell? Are you kidding me? Why are you listening to disco music? Get off of my case, Toilet Face. Disco will never die. Look, man, even Kiss made a disco album. Oh, man, I dig it. Gene Simmons is totally the next John Travolta. Yeah. He's the what? Have you lost your mind? Disco died 30 years ago. Don't you remember? Hey, sit on it, Spearsy. How's that? There's a phrase that'll never die. Totally dead, Brad. Totally why don't you try something new? Something from, I don't know, the 80s? What the hell is that machine? Some prop from Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Is 8-track tape suddenly too good for you, Spearsy? And now you're carrying around a bunch of hand mirrors? CDs, Brad. They're CDs, okay? Shut up and listen. I get it now. It feels tubular. That's a good word, right? Tubular? Oh, yeah. Yes. Everything's going to be all right now. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we're going to try something a little different. We have an entire podcast dedicated to one PPTMN question. But first, joining me as always, he's Brad from L.A. Hey, Steve. How's it going, man? Excellent. Uh, I, I hear you made it back from Vegas in one piece. Yeah, I'm kind of in a weird place, by which I mean I'm I'm in a weird place. I'm kind of tucked in the corner of my house because we have guests this weekend. So I'm, I'm crammed in the corner of my bedroom recording this. Well, we've got somebody else crammed in the corner because Drew from L.A. is also on the line. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Excellent. So the three amigos from Las Vegas. Yeah, that was a great, great time out there. Oh yeah, I think the uh, the the sage fried chicken eggs Benedict has finally left the system. <laughs> I swallowed a lot of aggression along with a lot of pizzas. <laughs> pizzas. <laughs> so uh, we get, we gather here today because we a, a few months ago we had a very interesting email from Alex Stick Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico. He submitted. A PPTMN question, which uh, for those people new to the show or because we haven't done one of these in about three or four months, uh, PPTMN is Please Please Tell Me Now, where anybody can email us at any time and ask us a question and we'll, we promise to answer it. Yeah, 80s related or not. Right. And uh, But he sent us a kind of a complicated one, but I thought it was good enough that we could turn it into a whole show. So um, Alex's question is, 
What song started music and ended music in the 1980s? Not the first and last number one song of the decade, but in our opinion, what song started the 80s music and what song ended 80s music? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. So uh, it's, it's kind of a complicated topic, so we're going to tackle it in two pieces. Uh, today we're just going to talk about songs that started the 80s, and in the future we'll do another show about uh, songs that ended the 80s. But, but first let me ask you each, um, let's talk about this idea for a second, make sure we're on the same page. The songs, or I'm going to say the sounds that started the 80s, um, what does this mean to each of you? When I was looking at this question, and you know, you and I were talking back and forth about it, um, my I was looking for um, not necessarily the origin. Like I think it's hard to track down. You know, like here's this band in Idaho Falls that recorded this track in 1974 that no one's heard of. So it's kind of walking a line of finding stuff that's new, but uh, that also was successful and had uh, you know got some exposure in the in the. You know, whether it be over the radio or whatever, you, however you want to look at that. So I wasn't looking for something that was super obscure that was sounding like in the '80s. I was looking for something that was, you know, that charted, that got people's attention, and and that brought something new to the table that was different from what had been on the charts to that point. For me, it's a little bit different because I'm a little bit younger than you guys, and while not a lot younger, it was right at that pivotal moment of my life where I was starting to get away from my parents' music and find my own music. So, you know, 1979, when you start looking for these songs, that's when I started looking for the songs for this topic. You know, I'm 11 years old, so I'm just getting out of like my parents, Elton John and Neil Diamond and stuff like that. I have nothing against those artists, but it was my chance to really find music that was different that I kind of discovered without yeah, having to go to stretch my your wings first. A little bit. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so when I look at this question, I think back to... I try to think back to the 70s and I try to think back to the first time I heard music that was really different, that wasn't the soft FM sounds that we've gotten used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I look beyond the prog rock of that time. So yeah. I'm looking yeah. – I'm not looking at Sticks, although I think Sticks had a contribution to it with, with their ballad uh, Babe. But I'm looking for something that I hear for the first time that just kind of blows my mind. Okay, the insane. Insane? Crazy. So we've each picked two songs. And we'll go through and we'll talk about them. I think we've got some obvious ones in there. Uh, I'm looking at you, Bradley. And then, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm and then sorry. I think, <laughs> the right answers are sometimes right there in front of you, Spears. I know, I know. And, and I think we've got. I, I'd like to think that we've also picked a couple that are maybe a little obscure or or ones that maybe hadn't weren't obvious picks. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so so Drew, go first. Give us a song that you think uh, started the '80s uh, movement. Well, for me, being you know growing up here in Los Angeles, uh, there was a we've talked about this radio station, Caro Q, and that was really playing a lot of the alternative hits. And there was a DJ who would come on late Sunday nights. His name is Rodney Bingenheimer. Have you ever heard of him, Brad? Yeah, Rodney still on the Rock. Here. Yeah, Rodney on the Rock. He broke more bands on the radio than you and I can count. Yeah, I mean, he's responsible for really introducing America to like Duran Duran and Susie and the Banshees. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's actually a documentary on yeah. him that's really good. It's called uh, The Mayor of Sunset Strip. Yeah, and exactly. It's worth a look. It really is. And he's an unusual guy. And he has this really kind of soft, almost uh, wimpy voice. Yeah, kind of librarian voice. Yeah. yeah. And But he is just brilliant when it comes to discovering music. And so he was on like Sunday nights from like midnight to two. And in in the middle of the summer, like I said, I was starting to discover my own music. 
And I noticed that he was playing a lot of weird, unusual stuff, and I like that kind of music. And he played this one from a, an, a group called the Two-Way Army called Our Friends Electric. So now I'm alone. Now I can think for myself. About little deals and nephews. Things I just don't understand. I can white light at night. Or a slight touch at times. I don't think I'm an anything to you. Now, of course, you know, Two Boy Army was disintegrated shortly after that, and it was just Gary Newman because he was the main guy. But when I heard that song, it just blew me away. It was so different than anything I'd ever heard. Um, Even even some of the songs that – and I knew some synthesizer songs, you know, Dreamweaver, stuff like that. But this was – Yeah, the the Moog had been used here and there, but not that way. Not that way. And it it had that – such a cold, just kind of – distant feel to it and that's it a good description was, yeah it was just amazing to me and it was i think it was really my first introduction to kind of like goth and it it changed the way that i saw music at that point i, I like your description of cold and distant because when yeah, i think of when i think of music at the beginning of the 80s and just pre-80s i mean that, that, i can't describe it any better than that and it's funny because i saw an interview with him and he talked about when he started performing and he said the reason he got that persona of kind of the white face and standing there so stiff, he said what happened was he was really young when he did his first TV performance and he got there and he had so much acne. They just slapped like an inch worth of makeup on his face (laughs) and then they thought his eyes looked too lot washed out. So they put black under his eyes and he got up on the stage and he was just terrified. So he just kind of stood there and it totally defined his persona for the next decade. But he said that really happened That's in about so 15 funny. minutes before he got on stage. Wow. It's amazing, like the little, uh, you know, happenstance, little, you know, mm-hmm. fate that, that intervenes at that time. You know, people like Pat Benatar coming from a Halloween costume party and that what she's wearing ends up becoming her signature yeah, look. look. Stuff, <laughs> stuff like that is just, you know, uh, Mike Score from Flock of Seagulls. Uh, his hair is all messed up, and so someone just takes a hand and presses it down, and hence we see the flock of seagulls look. My cousin actually had that haircut for a while. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, or, choices. Yeah, yeah, weird. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good pick. I really like that, and and definitely dark and distant. I mean, cold is, is what I think of when I think of um, the band that I'm going to offer up next, which is the Cars. And I still remember um, – Sitting around in my my friend's bedroom, and you know, at that time we were listening to a lot of you know, uh, Sticks and Journey and stuff like that. Sure. And he's like, "I've got this this record that I think you'd like," and he puts it on, and it's the Cars' first album, uh, released back in June 6, nineteen seventy eight, and it starts playing. And from the moment the first notes hit, I, I'm blown away by just how incredibly different it is, like nothing I've heard before. And um, you start to hear Good Time Roll, and it goes through, and it's nine tracks in my mind of just total, you know, pre-New Wave perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the album only peaks at number 18 on the charts, weirdly enough, but it stays on the charts for 139 weeks. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, and, of course, my favorite song from this album is this one, Bye Bye Love. It's Orangey Sky.
That was written by Rick Ocasek, but sung by the late, great Benjamin Orr. Never released as a single, but still one of my favorite songs. It wasn't really, because I guess it's just this album is so, I mean, it's a seminal album. Uh, You know, I'm I'm looking at the track list and this is solid top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because you could, like, I listen to that album and I think, wow, every one of these songs is fantastic in its own right. And they could all be singles, but man, you put them together and what a great album. Yeah. I'd say I know every word to every song yeah. on this. And it still baffles me. I remember when we started Stuck in the 80s eight years ago and we were thinking about shows to do and we're doing our Name That 80s tune. And I think I pulled a song from this album off on for Name That 80s tune. I got a lot of grief from people who yeah. who knew better than me that this was 1978 and not 1980. <laughs> but to me, it just it does, it's so 80s. I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah. To me, it's like, you know, January 1st, 1980. That, that, it couldn't be more 80s than yeah. this. Yeah. Well, and I think that this is, you know, when we talk about stuff that's the first song of the 80s, we're going to hit, just like we were talking about best songs of 1980, a lot of the stuff is in the late 70s because that's yeah. kind of when it got rolling. That's when the tide started to turn a little bit. Can I make an embarrassing admission? We sure. love those. Oh, okay. So I, I buy my first car for $300. The car is literally one year younger than I am. It's a 1969 Oldsmobile Delta 88. Oh, yeah. And I get in the car and I turn on, you know, I start it up. And the radio starts playing and it's let the good times roll. Comes off the stereo. That's not an embarrassing story. Does it get embarrassing? What's embarrassing is that became a tradition with me. Whenever I bought a new car, I would have to find that. Well, you know, for the first part, it was the tape. Right. And then it became a CD and I had to play that song whenever I I first started that car and started going somewhere. And when I bought my, my last car, um, I actually brought the CD with me because I knew I was going to drive the car off the lot just so I could keep that tradition alive. That's sweet. That's That's nice. That's a nice nice touch. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, Steve, what was your first car? Uh, it was a Mustang, um, a 1982 Mustang. How much you pay for it? Well, my parents paid for it. So. Oh, I, one of know, those kids. Yeah. Um, my, my mom had a Mustang growing up. It was her favorite memory. They just wanted me to have a car that, that wouldn't fall apart when I was driving it around. So I, I, you know, they paid probably whatever a brand-new car cost back in 1982 or three. Nice. But it was great. Well, my first car was a 1972 Triumph Spitfire. I bought it from a neighbor for $200, and the way you could tell that someone else owned the car is I pushed it from in front of his house to in front of my house because <laughs> it wasn't running when I bought it. With the little cinder block oh, behind geez. the wheels. Well, my car, my, the transmission finally went out, and I was at school. It was after a basketball game, and I had to drive home from school. Uh, the old car would only go in reverse, so I had to drive home in reverse like a mile and a half, two miles. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Brad, I know I, st- I stole the cars from you, but surely okay. you have an equally uh, impressive... Well, I'm, I'm bringing the big guns for my first one. And uh, my first song that I think is the harbingers of change for the music that's going to come in the 1980s is by one of the, the great, and I mean absolutely great, one-hit wonders of all time. It's My Sharona by The Knack. This is their first single. Uh, it was a number one hit. It went right to the top of the chart, sat there for six weeks. 
um, and was number one on the year-end chart for 1979. Um, and if you look at that chart now, or later, or whenever, um, the rest of the top 25, I just stopped at 25. I'm sure the whole top 100 is like this. It's pretty much, it, it's all disco and soft rock, adult contemporary stuff. So this this song is a shot across the bow of the music business. Uh, I think, and it showed that there's a, an eager appetite for something different than the you know the heavy disco layered stuff uh, and, and that kind of music. I, I remember owning the album. Um, I, I think I owned the single back then. You could still get a, a, a 45. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I bought the 45 from My Sharona, and I'm, and then later bought the album. Um, it's a good album all the way through. I remember also liking it was a Good Girls Don't. Yeah, that's their other hit. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. This. My Sharona goes to number one. Good Girls Don't goes to, I think, number 11. And that's pretty much it for the knack and the charts. Whatever happened to them? Well, yeah. they they did, I think, two more albums, neither of which did very well. And then they broke up. Uh, they got back together. They had some reunion stuff happening in the early 2000s. But the lead singer died. Doug Feger died in 2000. I think he had uh, several bouts of I'm sorry no he died in 2010 uh, but he had a couple of rounds of cancer a lot of health problems I, I do remember writing about that now yeah they, and I remember that song had a nice little comeback in um, yeah. the early 90s well it was on the reality bite soundtrack so right, it recharged which, oh, okay. at that point and that was kind of a nice moment in that movie where, they, where that song comes on the radio at the gas station yeah, they're I think. at the Quickie Mart or whatever. And they, they tell them to crank it up and they sit around and dance to it for a while. That was kind of a nice moment. Yeah. But, so uh, I think when you hear this song now, it's it's a straight ahead guitar rock song. It's it's very clean sound. There's no keyboard. It's just, you know, two guitars, bass and drums. Uh, but like I said, that there wasn't anything really like that on the charts, that clean, you know, that just kind of straight ahead rock. And I think it opened things up a little bit in the music business. Well, I think you could call it the very first power pop song. I mean, power pop is so eighties. Yeah. Mean, no, I mean to me. Yeah, no, I mind, think you're right. I power think you're right. pop, and I, I would mean, say- cheap, cheap trick. You know, obviously they that was their stuff too. And if you want to talk about a band, yeah, a single band that may have helped the transition from seventies to eighties, cheap trick might have been that band. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I've, although I will say this, I, I call this a rock song for one reason rather than a pop song. And any guesses what that one reason is? Oh, because it's about having sex with underage women. Um, <laughs> no, I think all rock songs are about that. Uh, I have no idea why. No, it's why don't because you call it has that? it has two guitar solos. Huh. Really? That's your yeah. prerequisite. Well, if if it was a pop <laughs> if it was a pop song, Drew, it would have one guitar solo that would be about eight bars long, and then they would get back into the chorus. You know how I know you're an engineer. <laughs> That's not engineering. That's music, Drew. <laughs> music. Music has forms. Music has shapes. One of the most common shapes is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, break, verse, chorus. End. Yes. I'm okay? Aware. Jeez. But only you would numerically split it up as to what makes a pop song. That's what it is. What... <laughs> oh, God. Drew, Drew just he's, give us some more education here. Give us, a, give us an actual. Man, I, have, I have one more, one more tie-in I have to make about this song. Guess, uh, another guess where guess where else you can find the cover of this song uh cover of this song yeah this is a tie to our last oh, not our last not oh, our okay. last podcast two podcasts ago i was gonna okay. say this doesn't have anything to do with like kids bop 49 or something right no, this is it's also on chipmunk punk oh <laughs> god we have two letters today about chipmunk punk too we really hit a nerve i know, <laughs> I know it's crazy <laughs> who knew who knew 
Anyway, nice. Okay, I, I'm done. I'm done lecturing you, Drew, on the, the forms of music. Uh, consider right. me lecturing. If you'd like to talk about fugues and uh, concertos, we can do that in another podcast. Yeah. Drew, take us away. Give us another song that uh, defined the beginning of the 80s. Well, for me, it's kind of funny because it, it bounces around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about kind of an album, but really the main song of the album. But it's The Cure's Boys Don't Cry. To me, it was just such an unusual sound. Again, I mean, that's where I go for. I always go for these unusual things. That's why I like Doingo Boingo so much and and early uh, Depeche Mode. But here, Robert Smith's voice was so different than what I was used to hearing. Again, I'm coming right out of my parents' stuff. So it's, you know, Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond didn't sound like this. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, yeah. they did not. And... It gave it, it gave me such an insight, kind of like our friends Electric. It gave me such insight into what was coming up, um, and and having um, K Rock around where they played it a lot, and seeing him also because there was times it was before MTV, before we got MTV, but he looked different. He had makeup on. He was different, and again, being so young, it just opened my eyes into what what was out there now i'm seeing that it didn't really chart in america it actually hit number 70 on the dance music club play stuff in 1980 so it wasn't like it was a big song but it just was it was different for me and there was other stuff that was on that album that i really liked there was killing an arab which was again started off with that weird guitar riff and then I had a teacher it was like a year or two later and we started reading, you know, the stranger. And that's when that song made more sense to me. Cause yeah, at first I was like pretty cerebral for pop mm-hmm. music. Oh yeah. yeah. We, we based this on a existentialist yeah. novel <laughs> by Albert Camus. You're like, what? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that was I really much cool. prefer the plague to the stranger personally, but that's just me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was being forced to read uh, the stranger. So, at least that was how the teacher kind of introduced it to us and said, this is kind of a cool stuff because, look, the, the Cure did a yeah. song about well, it. Let me like, tie oh. this into something that the kids it, these days exactly. like. Yeah, I exactly. hear you guys love your disco. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, my God. So I, I think Boys Don't Cry would have done a lot better had it come out. If it was a 1983, 1984 yeah. song, that would have been a chart topper. Yeah. yeah, but it was a little early. It was 19. It actually was released in 79, but you know it came to America really in 80. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, if you if you told me before, or asked me, hey, what year? I would have said 82. Yeah. And that would have been a stretch. So, I mean, I don't think I listened to The Cure myself until, geez, maybe 84, 85. Yeah, me either. Yeah. And then they I came mean, out what with, I, you know, the, the singles that were on K Rock, I would have heard, but I wouldn't have gotten into the albums until later. You guys are so lucky to have that. I mean, I, I hope you know that. Oh, yeah. Because for the, for the majority, the vast majority of the country, we did not have cool radio stations. We had, you know, album oriented rock. We had, top 40 you know we might have had you know we had our country we had our whatever else we did not have anything like k-rock i mean the only place we heard new wave music really was mtv yeah or yeah. if you went out to a club yeah when i was 13 years old that wasn't yeah, gonna no, we had k-rock being able to tune into that and listen to because unfortunately we had a lot of album oriented rock stations out here we had kmt yeah. we had klos so we had plenty of it 
and that's what made K-Rock, and, well, Kiss FM, too. We also had that, which was Top 40. But K-Rock was playing different stuff, and that was how yeah. they stood out. And, and, and so, 91X. I don't know if you ever got 91X. You're 91X a, was a little south of us. A little too far north, yeah. 91X, Steve, for your benefit, is a, a Baja California, Mexico station that broadcast uh, alternative rock. And it was one of those things where you could kind of get it in the summer in Orange County, but in the winter when you just it wasn't coming in. Yeah. Bizarre. K-Rock played everything. I mean, it was B-52s, Wall of Voodoo, everybody. You got to, we got exposed to them through that station. It was great. So lucky. Um, for my second pick, I'm going to pick a song from 1975. Whoa. Whoa. I don't think anyone here will recognize this. I could be wrong. It's from the band Roxy Music. Oh. This is, this is their fifth album, Siren, and the song is called Love is the Drug. Does anyone recognize this song? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. It's a great song. I was only uh, six, so. Well, I, well no, this is, you would have come, I was, come back to come it. On, I was eight. <laughs> I didn't listen to it when I was 1975 either. I'm, this is you know, based on my vast education. <laughs> yes. Years of study. I'll give you that. Yeah. So uh, Love is the Drug, um, off their fifth album, Siren, is, was a number two hit for Roxy Music in the, in the U.K., and it was also their first and still biggest hit in the United States. It reached uh, number 30 in 1976. But if you ask any um, band from the late 70s through the late 80s from the UK for their earliest influence, they will all say Roxy Music. Oh, yeah. Roxy, yeah. yeah. They were, they were the, that is the foundation of all British uh, music um, for, for at least two decades to follow. Every time I interview somebody... Uh, Psychedelic Furs, Duran Duran, uh, Human League, uh, Naked Eyes, all of them say, you know, they they just pour on the love for Roxy Music. Well, and Brian Eno was in there, mm-hmm. and, and Brian Eno did so much work with the bands that we, you know, that we all hold near and dear to our hearts from the 80s. I mean, he's an absolute, you know, a, a star in the pantheon of 80s sure. music. Yeah. Uh, it's got the unique bass line. I mean, I could have picked any song by Roxy Music, but but... This is the one that people you, that you will hear from time to time if you pay attention during documentaries about um, 80s bands. Um, the uh, what was it the Depeche Mode documentary 101? There's a scene where Dave Gahan is singing uh, while playing a pinball machine. He's singing "Love Is the Drug." Oh my gosh! Oh, wow. Nile Rodgers of, 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 of Chic has said that um, the bass line of their song is based on the bass line of "Love Is the Drug." You'll you'll hear it over and over again, um, so, so much so that this has been tapped um, by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Wow! Wow! You mean I actually agree with something that the Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame did? Every once in a while, that uh, that pile of bricks in Cleveland gets something right. <laughs> well, even a blind squirrel finds the occasional yeah. nut. Yeah. Is Roxy Music in the Hall of Fame? Gosh, you know, that's a good question. I don't. Th- 
think they are. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> really, I really, yeah, I, I really, I would almost consider it a badge of honor if they weren't at this point. But yeah, uh, doesn't matter. I guess yeah, I've made my feelings clear on. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really sad because here here in Orlando uh, today they're playing Arena Bowl, the Arena Football Championship is here today. Oh wow! And um, Kiss is in town to promote the Arena Bowl. They played a huge concert last night, and next year there's yeah. a. You guys are getting a arena football team. It's a called Kiss the Kiss branded team. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, that you know what that shouldn't surprise me. They put their brand to everything. Right. Whatever. So so all week on on uh, the radio, uh, sports radio here, they've been talking about does Kiss belong in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And I'm like, oh god, this tired old argument. Yeah. Well, didn't so, they yeah. just put Rush in like last year or the year before? Last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got tired of all the death threats. <laughs> <laughs> like Those fine, Canadians. we'll do it. Those Canadians know how to shoot a gun. So, uh, so love is the drug. That's my contribution. A little bit of uh, that's a good pick. Something maybe you hadn't heard because I, in my mind, the, the seeds of the eighties are they're planted that deep. You know, in the mid eighties, in the mid seventies, you will find songs that uh, will remind you of what you'll hear later on. So, yeah, Brad, your chance to uh, wrap it up here. Okay, so I have one more choice here. My second pick is uh, off of Blondie's 1978 release, Parallel Lines. I give you one way or another. Honestly, I could have picked almost anything off this album. I think like all of the, almost the whole thing was released as singles. It's just there's so much stuff on there. Uh, but I went with one way or another for a couple reasons. Um, the first one, you know, Debbie Harry's vocal. She's just she's angry. There's all this just, in it, um, and it it has this. You know, it's got an edge to it that, again, is yeah. so different from how female vocalists were presenting at the time. You know, the very, you know, it's either the Anne Murray, uh, you know, <laughs> adult contemporary stuff, yeah. or it was the disco, uh, you know, Donna Summer. So it, it just is another way forward here. Yeah. Um, and, and even if you listen on this album, the album had Heart of Glass on it, which is a disco song, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but very this, much so, yeah. Yeah. But this song is just like, Arr! And and the music it matches that. It's got that driving beat. It's got a really rough guitar sound. And uh, I would never say that this is a punk album or that this is anything to do with being the first punk of anything, because it's not. I'm not even sure it's a punk song, but it it's definitely an early sign of that influence showing up in pop music that's charting. Yeah. It's oh, that's catch. funny. I w- I would argue that it is. A, I think it's very much a punk song. I, really uh, I think, I it, I think it has this. a lot. Of, I think it has a lot of punk influence. I think it shows a lot of punk influence, but I don't yeah. think I call it a punk song. I, I remember buying this forty-five, and I wore the hell out of this thing. And and for me to buy a forty-five was kind of a big deal because yeah. I'd only get to the record store, you know, once a couple weeks. When yeah, and we're on limited budgets yeah. at that point. You know, and it's like, what I freaking, for my paper out. Yeah, and I came home and immediately put it on my little record player, and I just I played this thing over, and I love this song. Yeah. I mean, I won't give it punk, but it is absolutely new wave. <clears throat> it is absolutely a new wave hit. All right. I, I know we're fond of saying that you know disco dies in the eighties. I, I I sometimes think that's not exactly true, and it's, it's kind of a simple way of, of describing something. In my in my mind, disco evolves in the eighties. I mean, it it becomes smarter. 
it disguises itself a little bit better. It becomes, <laughs> I mean, Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran, these are bands that are essentially playing a, a new brand. Yeah, I mean, I think the club the music stuff did stay yeah. stick around, and you could yeah. still find it. It loses the la- it loses dance. the label. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's yeah. not disco anymore. It's just it's more. Yeah. Becomes you know, electronica or right. trance yeah. or whatever. No, nobody likes the term disco. It just became a dirty word. But but essentially, and and some of the you know effects of it go away. But for the most part, yeah, you're right. You know what? I don't think. I mean, they went away, but they've definitely come back. The last. I know. I, I'm sorry for breaking tradition here and talking about current bands, but <gasps> Maroon 5's last album was so disco. I was shocked when I started listening. I'm like, I mean, it's. You know, it's good to listen to, but it's very disco. Well, if, if we're talking about new stuff, if you've listened to the new Daft Punk, the new Daft Punk yeah. is very 70s. Yeah. I really and I really like it, but it is very 70s. And I think, you know, I think the reason they like I like this is because they basically pointed it at me. I, I've never listened to, as far as I know, a Daft Punk song and or a Maroon 5 song. So you I, have I, listened to a Daft Punk song because you've been to see the movie Tron Legacy. Um, I, I closed my ears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Conspiracy, I, don't make me come over there. I'm not. I'm not aware of of them. I mean, I know who they are, but I, I don't. I haven't bought any new music in, you know, thirty years, by, twenty 30 years. years. I mean, I you know, I buy the new album by someone who is forty years old, but I, I have not bought any Daft Punk, and I hope that that trend continues. You know what other trend I hope continues? The, the Seggies. Ah, the magical refrain of reader mailbag. And thanks to our last show mentioning Chipmunk Punk, we uh, we got two letters specifically about that. Take it away, Brad. Okay. Uh, letter one from Jeffrey in Three Rivers, Michigan writes, Hey, Stephen Brad. When I heard you mention Chipmunk Punk on the five best and five lamest songs of 1980 podcast, a scarring memory was dredged up in me. Oh, yeah. We're doing our work here, Steve. A scarring memory was dredged up in me that the Stuck in the 80s podcast listenership might find humorous and possibly relate to. I was eight years old in 1980 and attending Westmore Elementary School in Lombard, Illinois. Anyone know where Lombard is? No. It is a suburb of Chicago. I had a great aunt that lived there. Okay. Uh, We had a weekly music class, and the teacher encouraged us to bring in our favorite record to share with the class. I had yet to purchase my first record, so I (laughs) begged my parents to let me buy one. I was hoping for something rock and roll, but being that my father was a pastor, the closest thing to a rock album he would let me buy was Chipmunk Punk, which, judging by the cover, I thought was you know marginally cool. We bought the copy at our local Kmart. So finally, the day of music class arrives. As we lined up on the sidewalk outside the school, waiting for the front doors to open, I could hardly contain my enthusiasm. In my right hand, I was proudly holding my Chipmunk Punk record with the album cover out, showing the chipmunks looking oh so cool against the brick wall behind them. And my Pac-Man lunchbox in the other hand. Hmm. Oh, okay. man. <laughs> I'm living this right I'm now. I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is quite I a totally picture. I totally picture it. I can picture I, I, it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there right now. Then I distinctly remember seeing kids holding the new ACDC Back in Black album smirking while they came up to me and made fun of my chipmunk punk record. Oof, that's a tough one. Yeah. I hid the album in my locker and never took it to my music class. I came home that day humiliated. Still, it didn't stop me from rocking out to it at home, though, along with the only other non-Christian music album we had, the Carpenters' Close to You album. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Jeffrey, you have issues. Um, Just wanted to tell you, I love the podcast. I look forward to each episode. Love the stories you share, as well as the great interviews. Forever stuck in the 80s with you. 
Jeffrey Kiefer, Three Rivers, Michigan. Wow. Great letter. Cause yeah, that honestly, is great. It's so cringing. You sit there and because we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not that there, but we know that. Yeah. We all had that moment where this thing I've got is this is the shit. It's like, yeah, it turns out not so much. That's so cool. Well, believe it or not, we actually had two letters about Chipmunk Punk. So go ahead and read us uh, from Christine in Philly, right? Okay. Yeah. Letter two is, as Steve says, from Christine in Philly. Hi, Steve and Brad. It's funny. I've been listening to some older podcasts to make my workday pass a little quicker. And I recently listened to one where a listener asked if there was an album from your youth I'm 44, that really changed the type of music you liked. Well, since I was about 11 or 12 in 1980, I remember listening to Chipmunk Punk and actually liking it. Uh, Mind you, up to this point, I had been subject to my parents' music, you know, Linda Ronstadt, Barry Manilow, Kenny Rogers, you get the picture. So the type of music on Chipmunk Punk was a welcome addition, no matter how dorky it was at the time. Anyway, I cracked up when I thought how stupid it would sound if I admitted Chipmunk Punk was that album. You can imagine the spit take I did at work when Brad mentioned my coming-of-age music album. (laughs) Thinking of Chipmunk Punk more than twice in a week was enough for me, (laughs) although it did bring back some nice memories. Glad to be listening to your show. I still stand by love of the 80s, as sappy as it sounds. It was a great time to be young. Thanks, Christine and Philly. You guys should really introduce Christine and Philly to I know. We need to get these people together so they can kind of, you know, she can help him through that that angst and see the goodness that's therein. I'm starting to wonder if we should do a whole album on uh, Ch- Chipmunk Punk. I think we've probably hit all the high points at this oh, point. Okay, good, yeah. good. Because that was my well, second I'll keep instance. bringing it up as long as there's any kind of tangential reference. I'll keep mentioning That's it. good. As always, you can send all your reader mailbag to sit80s at gmail.com or steveinthe80s at gmail.com or bradinthe80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. We will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s if you can get it right. Uh, Well, this week, or last week, whatever the case may be, the winner actually gets... We have a grand prize winner this time, right? Yeah, something other than just Eternal Glory. So uh, we'll get to... So the winner, the grand prize, is a, what, Knight Rider ornament? Yeah. Cool. Nice. First, pay attention. Here was the clip from our last show. You have a year of a tuna? <laughs> yes, it's Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. I think I've used Uncle Buck. I have Buck to admit, a couple of times. I've never seen what? it. What? Really? No great yeah. loss. Get out. No great loss. Yeah, I, I just, it just kind of never hit my radar. No, it's fine. It's, it's worth, uh, if you happen to be, it's, you know, it's a Friday night, you're on your couch, uh, and it happened to be on the channel you were on, falling on your eyeballs, that would be okay. You had two broken legs and a broken arm and couldn't it's change the channel. Bad. No, geez. It's not that bad. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not something that you should build up as the greatest movie ever. But if you stumbled across it and it was only five minutes in, watch it. All right. It's John Hughes light. I mean, it's like uh, it's yeah. watered down. It's, it's, Bud, it's, it's like the Bud a, Light of John Hughes movies. Yeah, it's funny, I mean, I it's, it's a movie Hughes, you watch it's... because you like John Hughes, not because it's a good movie. Yeah. It's John Hughes, all... isn't it? Yeah. Isn't yeah. He the... yeah, okay. He's okay. I didn't He's know John good. Hughes directed. Oh, I don't know if he even directed it. He wrote it. Oh, okay. It might have been Larry Hughes who directed it. I don't <laughs> know. Larry. But uh, anyway, we did have plenty of people who got it right. So uh, who got the answers right? Brad? So our correct answers this week include Hawkman 64 from Port Huron. Huron? 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 Huron. Anyone? Michigan. Sorry. Hawkman 64 from Port Huron, Michigan. Chris from South Lyon. Marie Mueller. Troy from the Great White North. 
Gary Jungling, or is it Youngling? John Hung and Phoenix. Youngling. I don't know. Sorry. That'd be a great porn name, by the way. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. John and Phoenix. Eric and Alpharetta, Georgia. Jonathan Thompson and Lisa Brown. Downtown Lisa Brown. Uh, and the winner, the grand prize winner, we have determined by total random chance of the uh, Knight Rider ornament is... Come on down! Eric and Alpharetta. So, Eric, email me your uh, info and I will get it sent out to you. Uh, that's Brad in the 80s at gmail.com. B R A D I N T H E 80S. And by info, he, he just means your address. Don't get, yeah. don't get carried away. Yes, just an address. A mailing address is fine. It can be a P.O. box. I'm a Scorpio who likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> My name's Brad and I'm a Taurus. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. God damn, your drunk tests are hard. If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com, steveinthe80s at gmail.com, or bradinthe80s at gmail.com. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Hey, it's our signature Segi here on Stuck in the 80s. Uh, we will play a little piece of a song from the 80s, and if you can get it right, um, well, if you got it right this week, you won a uh, Vacation Wagon Queen Family Truckster ornament, right? That's right. But uh, first... Wait. Everyone does, or just there's there a no, grand winner? There's a winner, sorry. Okay. Not, not to get your hopes up. <laughs> yeah, well, I just you don't want how you much guys that would to be cost? on the hook for... <laughs> I mean, I like you guys, but uh, i got to feed my family, too. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, pay attention. Here was last show's mystery clip. Build it up with bubbly wine. That's Hilly Michaels calling all girls. There's only one treasure in all of the world. I never could find so I'm calling all. Calling all girls. I'm calling all girls. Calling all girls. I'm calling all girls. Yeah, and actually it's fairly easy because uh, I actually had that on my blog that week is one of if our... If you'd been paying attention, yeah. Yeah, all you have to do is read the blog and sometimes we give it away. Uh, Brad, who were among the people who got the answer correct? Our correct answerers include Rob Stroh, Scott in New Hampshire, the man known only as Rowan. Boy, we haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, Ken, Ken Ward, is that really you? Uh, Charles Krause from Yorktown, Bill with one L, Dan and McDonough, and Big Trouble in Little Kansas. Now, is that Big Trouble in Little Kansas and Lance Edens, or is Lance Edens Big Trouble in Little Kansas? Lance is. They are synonymous. Okay. Big Lance, Little Trouble, Kansas <laughs> in Edens. <laughs> wow. And uh, the winner, the grand winner of the Vacation Wagon Queen Family Truckster Ornament is... Come on down. Ken Ward. Ken, Excellent. you know the drill. Send me your stuff, man. You know, by the way, um, this is a good segue. There's actually a family in Georgia had the fa- the Queen family truck. Yeah, I saw that recreated. They had it, like yeah. they took it to a body shop. They they took their you know their Ford station wagon, yeah. took it to a body shop, had it all geared up to look just like the uh, family truckster. Their last name actually is Griswold. Is it? Oh, is wow. it really? I don't know about that. Oh. It's ordained then. <laughs> it's as as was written in the book. But uh, but they actually drove it down here to Disney World last I week. I specifically ordered the sports yeah. wagon. Oh, you think uh, you hate it now? Wait, wait till you till drive you, it. Wait till we'll take you through Orlando traffic. Oh. You, you think it's beat up now after that movie? It'll be beat up for sure. Roll anyway, up. pay attention. Here's this week's mystery tune. If you know it, email us again at 
S-I-T-80s at gmail.com, stevenies at gmail.com, bradneys at gmail.com, and then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Please, please tell me now. Ah, a long-lost friend, please, please tell me now. It's, it's only appropriate that an entire show that gets based on one question should have a seggy for PPTMN. It's, it's so self-referential and meta. It's so meta. meta. <laughs> uh, all of Stuckinese is so meta. I know. That's uh, what I love about it. So uh, this week the question comes from Alex in San Jose who wants to know, when is the Katrina and the Waves podcast? Wait. The <laughs> other question was from an Alex, too. Now it's getting really meta. It's very, very meta. Just kidding, Alex says. Quote, every time I hear the song Walking on Sunshine, it takes me back to spring of 1985, my ninth birthday when I got my first boombox. My 11-year-old sister and I would do a fake radio show, didn't everyone? I don't, I don't remember doing that, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, never did. You guys are dorks. <laughs> Sorry, I just never did. <laughs> <laughs> and I would record songs off the radio. Walking on Sunshine wasn't the first song I recorded. I think that was actually Toto's Africa, but the Katrina and the Waves tune sparks my fondest memory. So please, please tell me now, what was the first or most memorable song you remember recording off the radio? Alex in San Jose. That's, That's a good a question. Good yeah. I, I got to tell you, I can't remember a specific song, but I definitely remember doing this. I mean, you know, I had my little radio that was in my room, and then my dad, who was an orchestra conductor, had, you know, the hi-fi. And I would basically slip out there in the evenings when everyone was kind of going off to bed and, and tune his you know, tune the radio on that to my station and try and catch stuff and record it. And I'd basically just kind of be huddled over there in the corner hoping no one would come out and see me messing with his stuff. Because they'd be like, who changed the station on this? Oh, I don't know. Uh, That's weird. Nice. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to real quickly say that I can't stand that song, Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine, because for the longest time while I was editing, like, promotional stuff everybody wanted that song <laughs> i hate that song but what's odd is the thing that i remember most about recording off the radio this, this it wasn't a song it was actually a program but it was dr demento do you guys remember oh, dr oh DeMento? sure yeah yeah of course and we used to record because my my dad really didn't want me staying up that late on a school night and it was sunday night so i would hit play and record and i record it and then the next day i'd be able to listen to it so it was dr demento with like Making love in the back of a Subaru and and stuff like that, fish heads, all those that I nice. I distinctly remember playing. Star Trekking, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, big time. And Weird Al, of course, made his big oh yeah, big oh yeah, break on that show. Yeah, yeah. You've heard him. Um, I can actually remember this. Um, the same guy who introduced me to the Cars album that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. David Goodfield. I remember his name like it was yesterday. <laughs> he and I sat up one night waiting for uh, Foreigners Urgent to come on the radio. Because he wanted to, we wanted to figure out the lyrics. Didn't we just? Yeah, we touched on this in the yeah. last show, didn't we? So we sat there, sat there, sat there, sat there, and just waited and waited and waited. And sure enough, it came on. We recorded it, and then we spent like the next three hours trying to figure out what the words were. So I, I remember it well. To this day, I do not like that song anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so was the argument: bizarre. is it urgent or virgin? Urgent, 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 oh, emerge, virgin. Oh my yeah. god, that whole album to me. Sturgeon, these days. Sturgeon, 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 Sturgeon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember, we used to really mock Foreigner. Then we got like both Lou Graham and uh, Mick Jones on the show, and I felt really bad. You mocked Foreigner? <laughs> oh, know. big time. Yeah. I, don't know. I, like like I love them now. Now they're great. If you ever get a chance to see them in concert, like, no original stars, no original members anymore, yeah. except maybe sometimes Mick shows up. But for the most part, totally redone band, but they're amazing. 
greatest cover band ever. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, if you have a, a PPTM question for us, uh, email us. You know the addresses by now. But please put PPTMN in the subject line. We'll be right back after this commercial break. This is Stratego. Not a place, not a time, but a battle of wit and skill and strategy. Stratego. We're generals. Field marshals. Scouts and lieutenants. Miners and spies all conspire with bombs and brains to capture the enemy flag to win the battle. To win the game. Get Stratego from Milton Bradley. Victory awaits you. For uh, one last discussion, while you guys were researching this podcast uh, topic, did you rediscover any other song from the late '70s that you um, had forgotten about, or do you want to talk about maybe some of your honorable mentions that didn't make the final cut? Well, I'll just say—I mean, I'll keep it short because mine you guys actually picked. I mean, Blondie uh-huh. and My Sharona were two songs. I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize they came out that early. Yeah, and I, you know, remembered them very well being a big part of that changeover for me. So yeah, you guys picked the ones that I really would have had as an honorable mention. Yeah. Steve did. Steve and I, when we had this conversation like a month ago, when we first got the question, I'm like, okay, it's my Sharona. It's something off of an early Blondie album. And it's something off of an a early cars album. And so, you know, but I also looking through, you know, kind of looking through things, um, I, the talking heads album, fear of music, like wow i forgot how much i like this and and the police's first album oh yeah the police i was i, I was, was very much leaning towards picking a police song for this like maybe so lonely um or something else off of outlandus demore yeah i you know i'm not a police fan so i wouldn't have picked any of their stuff some of the songs that i thought about i i swear i, I chose mine at the very last second like literally 30 minutes before we went on i narrowed it down i had a couple songs by joy division Okay. That had um, level terrace apart and uh, transmission. Is that seventies? Yep, very late seventies. Wow! So Joy Division would have. That obviously was obviously that's a good choice. If I didn't realize it was a seventies song. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the Buggles video killed the Radio Star, mm-hmm. nineteen seventy nine. Uh, I just thought that was too predictable. Um, yeah. M pop pop music, and and, to, and I can, I couldn't decide if pop music was. The last song that sounded like the seventies, uh, yeah, or the first sound that, that song that sounded like the eighties, and so it's a I was little just, novelty song ish. Yeah, the other one that I was toying with, and this is just because I'm such a fanboy, was the Devo cover of Satisfaction. 
That'd be oh, good. Yeah. I thought that was a you know it's a different look on something that is such as you know I guess this is true then too. It's just established rock band, and they took it and they're like, no, we're going to do that. We're going to do it totally differently. We're going to put this twist on it. I'm surprised you didn't pick a Devo song. Are you are you holding out hope that we're going to do a whole show on them? Someday? No, I, I you know what I I drew a box around what I wanted to be this you know I, and I kind of talked about it, like what my qualifications were and it needed to be something that got some exposure that people had heard and you know me calling out some obscure Devo song um, would have made me happy and everyone else would be scratching their heads going what is he talking about didn't stop so, Steve with Roxy music well but you know Steve but, Steve and I can't well, make that, Steve, I can't make no. Steve live by my rules man I, yeah, I, I still argue I argue that 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 song was that very was popular very, at the yeah, time and it influenced song. everybody that came after them it just does it stand out to the average 80s fan today probably not but it should i, I think i think you're underselling it i think people respect are- your elders okay sorry <laughs> I, I think that's one one of the things that surprised me though is when i was researching these these songs was how many of them i thought were true 80s songs and they actually came out in 78 79 that surprised me yeah 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 it's important yeah, well you can see that change starting in the charts but it takes uh-huh. a while to push through right. Yep. It's important, and I think I don't think I learned this right away when we first started doing Stuck in Hades. Back then, I used to have a real strict rule about we are not talking about anything that happened before or after. Um, and so we would talk about bands like Depeche Mode, but we would like totally just the door would shut, you know, at the end of 1989. And I think now I've kind of given up on that and realized that hey, the 80s, what what we know and love as the 80s began, you know, several years beforehand and ended probably several years before the actual decade ended. So. so does that mean we'll actually do the best covers of 80s songs eventually? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been thinking about that one for a long time. The other thing that this made me uh, kind of nostalgic for as I was doing the research was for some reason I stumbled across some website and I found that I really wanted to watch some old episodes of Fat Albert. <laughs> <laughs> You're like school on vacation. I wanted, I no wanted to learn a valuable lesson <laughs> and watch some kids play junkyard band instruments. Oh, man. I used to watch that every yeah. weekend. Of course. We all did. That's why it was on every year because people were watching it. Guys, would come on with the lesson that we didn't quite learn until he spells it out. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, those are the good old days. Well, in the meantime, we'll start thinking about our next show. Well, I don't know that our next show will be the songs that in the eighties because that's just kind of a downer. But we'll we see. will get to it. <laughs> It'll happen. In the meantime, uh, Bradley and uh, I keep I can't quit calling you Bradley. Okay. I know it irritates you. <laughs> It's okay. And I appreciate you putting up with Thanks it. Thanks for good radio. <laughs> Brad and Drew, Jerk. thanks for joining me as usual. My pleasure. Uh, I can't imagine doing this show without you. Uh, in the meantime, cue up some of these songs. Send us some emails with your ideas of songs that began the 80s. And maybe we'll have that little special seggy uh, next show with your own suggestions. Yeah, it's a good idea. In the meantime, myself, Brad, Andrew, and Roxy Music, we remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a Class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Uh